Hi guys, I'm Jo Croft. You are listening to the Puppy Coach Podcast. Join me as I share my top tips, thoughts and experiences from my career as a vet nurse and canine behaviour specialist, helping owners form a strong, safe relationship with their dog. So today I want to take a look at rescue dogs and rescue dogs on quite a broad spectrum. So that will be inclusive of imported dogs as well. Given behaviour is the number one reason why dogs are given up to rescue centres, I think we really want to take a look at how and why that develops and, and potentially what we can be doing to try and avoid this as being an issue. Obviously, this is something that I come across in my line of work quite a lot, and they're coming out of various different breed-specific kenneled environments or they're coming from big rescue charities. I've also obviously got a fair bit of experience, particularly over the last two years as they're becoming more popular with the imported rescue dogs. So dogs coming over from Thailand, Greece, Cyprus, um, and obviously Bosnia and Romania. I think from my perspective, one of the biggest considerations we need to take on board with these dogs is fear and trauma. And to what extent fear and trauma are relevant for these individual cases? So let's first understand the difference between fear and trauma. So fear, if you consider fear to be that momentary lapse in recognition of what's going on or response to a stimuli that you're uncomfortable with. So it can be everything from just fearful experience in the form of another dog coming and playing with you and you didn't invite the play or you don't perceive it as play right up to something more scary that you can't understand, such as the sound of a car or fireworks going off. So your response to that in the moment is very much down to your experiences, your social skill, whether you can cope with that or not, and also whether and how you have the ability to press the reset button and be able to recover from that fear. So it's very much an in-the-moment survival response. If we now consider trauma, and obviously these cases are all relative as to those dogs that are just fearful in the moment and those that are suffering from a traumatic experience. The first thing we want to consider with these dogs is that they have a sense of a loss of safety. So they have been pushed beyond their ability to cope for either a short period of time or a sustained period of time. Now again, this can be anything from being jumped upon by a dog Or obviously in the case of our rescued animals, a sudden environmental change. So just the fact that they've come from an area that they perceive to be normal and familiar into an unfamiliar environment. We can also consider uh, whether or not they've lost a person or they've lost another animal in their social group. And the most obvious that people would connect with rescue dogs is that those that have suffered physical or mental trauma or abuse. Recently, I put together a series for YouTube and on that series, we looked at a rescue, imported rescue dog from Bosnia called Max. And if we consider his situation specifically, he's been brought over from Bosnia. His whole journey over here was actually pretty stressful. He was also one of nine siblings. So he's very much used to having a huge group of dogs around him for support, all speaking the same language. So not only did he have a stressful journey over, but his life prior to coming to the UK was very simplistic. There wasn't really a lot of areas for him to be having any kind of luxury or human emotional contact. He was heavily reliant on his social group and his other siblings for that level of interaction. 
He's come over having this very stressful journey by many different means of travel over to the UK. He's then been put into a kennel environment and then rehomed to a lovely new family. But obviously the whole environment he's been catapulted into, it's completely and utterly alien to him. So he's gone from living from the streets into a kenneled environment and then into a family domestic home in the UK. So that alone is enough to consider that that animal has suffered a degree of trauma. And off the back of that, we really need to consider how that reflects in the behaviour that we see from him. Max in particular was displaying specific behaviours around the male human owner. Not so much with the female. She was very much seen as the individual he could attach himself to. But there were some low-level aggression-type behaviours, particularly with strangers. So we can assume that his early interaction with anybody male, approaching him, coming into his space or into his environment, at some stage he's found to be extremely traumatic. Now, there isn't any evidence of any physical abuse, but certainly something that's heavily overlooked is the mental trauma of that huge environmental change. So taking these animals into our homes and offering them the lifestyle that we perceive to be pleasant and luxurious and delivering lots of human emotion and loving them and hugging them, Nobody would ever actually consider that necessarily to be unpleasant. But for a dog who's never had that degree of experience of interaction, who's never been shown human love, which is a difficult emotion to process anyway, this can actually be really quite challenging and potentially traumatic. So these visual behaviours that we see off the back of some kind of trauma being experienced by the dog are really just survival behaviours. They're just fear-related behaviours that have escalated. And you'll get a diverse level of responses depending on what you are delivering to the dog and whether you have the ability to communicate with the dog. And often I find that people's responses to the dog can either make a situation much better or much more severe. And often we see these dogs, whether they're, you know, general rescue dogs from the UK or whether they are are imported rescue dogs, we see them displaying either uh, what we call a dorsal vagal shutdown state, which is where it's also known as learned helplessness. So the dog has basically delivered every single communicator they possibly can to get themselves out of the situation and failed. And then that actually becomes a process whereby you can offer the dog an escape route, but they choose not to take it because nothing has worked for them in the past. So they literally just shut down. And that is a chemical process. We can also see these dogs being heavily reactive to certain social situations. And that may be specific social situations or it may be diverse and actually across the board, whether it be indoors or outdoors, whether it be approaching people and whether it be approaching dogs Considering what we need to be doing with these dogs will very much come down to what is the dog delivering? What do we know about these dogs? And certainly early history will be really important. So if you're taking these dogs on from wherever, either from a previous home or even from a friend, or you're, you're taking on one of these imported dogs, information is key. We want to know what are the likely experiences that these dogs have had, whether they be our perception of negative or positive. What experiences have they had prior to coming into our home? 
Have they been in a home environment before? Have they been in a kenneled environment and suffered severe trauma either because they have been neglected or bored, excessively bored and don't know what to do with themselves? Have they uh, faced some sort of conflict when they've been in that situation? And then that will allow us a platform to then to consider, is this dog going to tolerate a crate? environment is this dog going to tolerate us building a safe zone that is hugely restricted or do we need to consider opening up an area of our home do we need to consider whether actually this dog's comfortable safe space was outdoors and can we facilitate that is that going to be viable for us because we might not might not want to be out in all weathers But many of these dogs have, by evolution, adapted to cope with very low temperatures or very high temperatures and putting them into a central heated house could be seen as a traumatic experience for a dog. Taking those very small things on board will allow you to make a decision as to whether or not this is something you really want to do, are able to do. Can you provide this dog the welfare needs it requires? So if we look at the imported rescue dogs, and I'm very aware that this can be quite a controversial subject, I'm a little bit stuck in the middle with it because I have a lot of empathy for the people who are in the midst of working with these dogs abroad and working with these dogs over here and actually seeing the awful and barbaric situations that these dogs are pulled from. So people want to help and they want to reach out. I can totally respect and understand why these dogs are being brought over to, you know, our environment where our perception is very much that we can provide them with this lovely life. I've got friends that work with these dogs in these said countries um, and do amazing work and rehabilitate the dogs out there and rehome them out there or support them. And they're not dogs that would ever cope with coming to the UK and being essentially in a, in a box, living in a home um, where their needs aren't necessarily going to be met that easily. In an ideal world, I do think it would be lovely to go to these countries, rehabilitate them and keep them there because that's where they've adapted to be environmentally, socially and everything that goes with that. Um, but I also agree that, that there are, are scenarios where that just isn't viable. And for these dogs to come over here, I think we could do them much more justice by having a platform of management for them to come into this country via certain pathways and for all rescue centres to have a protocol of events that they follow, working with experienced behaviourists that understand trauma, they understand fear behaviours, they can tell the difference between sustained trauma and whether we are just habitually treating a dog's fearful response being in a position to offer new owners a really heavy amount of guidance and, and, you know, help these new owners understand what they are taking on, what they are inviting into their homes and how best to support these poor dogs. It can be just as harsh for them to try and adapt to that as it was for them to adapt to their previous environments so for me to have that and for legislation to be in place would be amazing and that's where I kind of sit with my opinions I think it's a very new thing and each dog that I help and support I reach out to other people in my industry to offer more information and I think everybody should do the same I think we are all experiencing these dogs on different levels and we're all supporting owners with different needs 
The biggest and most important top tip I can give anybody for taking these dogs, and particularly the imported rescue dogs on, would be that you need to be thinking about supporting these dogs, offering them a safe haven, and I mean a real sense of safety. Lessening your expectations. You are not taking on a dog that you can put on a lead and walk out the door the following day who's just going to eat food as normal, who's going to behave in a way that you would expect a dog to behave. You need to be thinking about the, the level of trauma the dogs have been under and actually dealing with the trauma as if it were a mental illness. And, and I say that because we are literally dealing with areas of the brain that are potentially physically changed and damaged. The limbic system obviously controls emotion and the impact of trauma on that area of the brain is is huge. Dopamine, adrenaline, cortisol, serotonin, endorphins, these are all neurotransmitters that are affected by the dog experience some degree of trauma. With that in mind, how the dog responds is going to be complex and complicated. And taking the time just to sit back and recognize that this is a dog who is in a fearful state or a traumatized state, and not just a dog who's being poorly behaved, is very much the difference between an owner being successful in rehabilitating them and failing or feeling like a failure. One of the the big expectations of people taking dogs on, you know, particularly people that have had dogs themselves in the past, is they kind of have a benchmark of how a dog should behave. And I really think taking on a dog like one of the imported rescues or even a general rescued dog has a really big impact on people's ability to understand what the dog is actually all about. And if you've had a dog before, you will be completely thrown by the behavior of some of these dogs. So you have this loss of knowledge because this is not what you've experienced before and you look at everybody around you and the next door neighbor's dog doesn't do this and you know they treat it this way and they're absolutely fine and you know there's all these dogs on the school run and they seem to be all happy and having a great time and then you meet people in the park and they're not suffering with the same issues as you. So I think if you've had dogs before and you're taking on a rescue unless you're familiar with rescues and you've experienced this kind of stuff you really need to sit down and consider what sort of things am I potentially going to be dealing with and be respectful of what they're communicating and take life very much at their pace. So I just want to consider some of the behaviours that people see in dogs and certainly I have never seen as much reactivity as I'm seeing in today's society with dogs. You know, when things are really clear for humans, it's kind of okay. So if they were in a family environment and there was some domestic violence or the human owner was attacked and the dog got beaten and, you know, the dog has ended up subsequently going into kennels for other reasons, that's really easy for a human owner to be able to recognise trauma and understand that the dog has gone through a, a very physical trauma. If you were kind of 10, 12 weeks old and your first interaction with a particular breed of dog was just to be jumped on and flattened at some sort of puppy socialization group, then that will have a really long lasting effect. And actually, we don't necessarily see the full impact of that until that dog develops and matures. So it might be that this issue happened when the puppy was really, really young. And then by the time they are starting to hit the adolescence phase, you're then going to start to see some sort of reactivity. 
So if we think about the rescue dog in those situations, particularly those that have been imported, our understanding of their early life is going to be sketchy at best. It's very unlikely we're going to have that level of detail given to us. So for an owner to be productive in the way that they manage their dogs, they need to have the ability to sit back and observe what the dog does in each scenario. So what behavior patterns the dog delivers into certain situations. Do you see stress indicators? Do you notice that before your dog lunges or barks or is unpleasant towards human interaction, do they show avoidance? Do they turn their eyes away? Do they turn their head away? Do they try and escape, but they maybe are on a lead, so they can't? Are they delivering repetitive stress indicators? So are they digging the ground next to you? Are they licking their lips? Anything repetitive can be considered to be a a stress indicator. And anything persistently repetitive over a period of time can then be in the realms of an OCD behavior. So these things have a really knock-on effect if you don't deal with them when they first happen. If you're looking at your dog and looking at the poor behavior and I really struggle with this when when people come to me and they kind of give me the what I call end stage or in the moment behavior you know my dog lunges at barks uh, every other dog it sees and they kind of want me to come on a walk and see that behavior now for me that becomes really problematic because I don't want to see your dog in a situation where they've lost all level of self-control I want to rewind that and look at the relationship that you share with your dog and look at the other areas of the dog's life that give me an indication of the things that they may have suffered in the past or they may have perceived as a threat or a challenge in the past. If they are delivering any behaviours that are on the extreme level of what we call the fight-flight platform, so reactive, defensive, volatile in any way, to be honest, delivering obsessive-compulsive behaviours or completely shut down so non-interactive taking themselves away showing total avoidance you can pretty much say for certain that that dog has suffered a degree of trauma and we need to be then heavily considering how we treat the trauma brain now there's lots and lots of research gone into the kind of chemical pathways involved in trauma and what can be done to support these dogs i've looked at a variety of different research papers that are out there The big thing that's the standout with all of it is if you are going to consider any form of drug therapy, drug therapy can be really, really useful if used very, very closely to when the trauma has happened. Now, this is just my perception of it. I don't know whether we can look at the same results if we're a long time after the trauma's happened, but I know there's still lots and lots of research going into that. There's lots of drugs out there, and obviously you would deal direct with your veterinary professional on that. And certainly there are veterinary behaviorists out there that are really looking into those studies right now to find out what the best form of neuromodulatory drugs are to be used for each scenario. Unless I'm very sure that a trauma has just happened, for instance, for the imported dogs, they maybe were living a comfortable, not by our standards life, but a life that was free from any big challenges. And then they're brought over immediately into the UK. So we know we're going to deliver a trauma for that animal. Then yes, I guess there's an argument that having them on supportive neuromodulatory drugs early could prevent some sort of psychological trauma later on. As with everything, it has its place um, and drug therapy is certainly something that I will be keeping my eye on. 
if a dog doesn't arrive to me for help already on that drug, it's not necessarily my first port of call, but it's certainly a consideration for me. And I work very closely with vets to to make sure that should that animal need any drug therapy, then they would get it. I think it's also important to consider what other triggers make these dogs worse. So potentially either cause the trauma or exacerbate the traumatic response. One of the really big things that is kind of often overlooked is sleep deprivation. In order to be able to sleep properly, we need to feel safe and secure. What's safe and secure for you as a human owner isn't necessarily perceived to be safe and secure for the dog. So setting up an area and supporting that dog into your home, you know, a quiet space that you could just sit in the room with the dog and just read a book, not put any pressure on that dog at all, and make necessary survival tools such as food and contact. And I don't mean physical contact, I mean just being supportive and in the room. The opportunity to go to the toilet, access to water, making all these things predictable and easy without any pressure from you as an individual. That's the first stage of being able to create a safe area for the dog. So not an area that is going to be a thoroughfare of people walking through, not an area where people are going to be looking down into the dog or having to go and sit in the dog's space all the time. If you create that and the dog can feel safe and secure in a small area of your home, then you provide a platform for that dog to be able to rest properly and reach REM sleep. And proper rapid eye movement sleep is quite difficult to do if you've got a very high level of awareness and caution in your environment. As with any human that suffered any degree of trauma, having that one person or that one environment that you can go to and feel safe and secure in is the first stage to your rehabilitation. If you don't feel that safety or security, the opportunities for you to be able to feel better generally across the board become minimal. Feeling like you are providing the dog with lots of love and emotion is not the way to go. We want to be in a position where that dog can just have some time and some space. For me, working in canine behavior, I get really frustrated when I look at a dog screaming out for support, screaming out, telling us that they're traumatized in the situation that they're in or they're fearful of whatever is going on in front of them. And from that perspective, actually most poor dog behavior occurs because the dog is in a fearful state. So it may look like the scariest animal in the world, but actually underneath all that, the dog is terrified. If we're gonna look at communication, one of the big differences that you see in dogs is affected by their breed innate drives. So if we look at a lot of rescue kennels, and there are obviously, there's, there's breed-specific rescue kennels, you know, for pretty much every breed going. But the big charity rescue centres, the dogs that you see in there are those dogs that have innate drives that can potentially be problematic. So your bull breeds, your working dogs, your collies, your shepherds, your terriers, these are all dogs that, through no fault of their own, we've bred them to be working animals. And the fact that that working drive is not appreciated, it was just observed as a problematic behavior that got out of hand, and that's landed them in rescue kennels, I find really upsetting. When clients say to me, my dog does this in this situation, they probably don't want to hear 
well, don't put the dog in that situation because most owners, their expectation is, well, if I want to go to a cafe and take my dog, then I will. And I totally respect that. But if you are going to want to do those things with your dog, particularly dogs that are coming out of rescue, you need to prep them. You know, some dogs will take a very long period of time to be able to to cope with big social situations. Other dogs just require you to be a solid degree of support to have integrated them slowly so they can cope with it and adapt. So I'm particularly thinking in terms of German Shepherds and Rotties and Dobermans when they deliver guarding type behaviours. Why are we so surprised that these dogs deliver these behaviours when we bred them to do this? But our perception is now we've invited this into our house. We didn't respect what we had. We gave them a platform to protect not just us, but themselves as well. And then when they do this, it's all a big shock and it doesn't work. If you are going to take on a dog from a rescue kennels, consider the breed that you are taking on and whether this breed is going to herd your children, whether this breed is going to want to protect you and your home, whether this breed is going to want to chase and catch small furry things. And then if you understand that drive, you can be prepared for it and you can watch the behaviours that are precursors to the innate drive and be able to support the dog at that point. If we're looking at our imported rescue dogs, first of all, these dogs are a mix of lots and lots of different breeds. And it's quite fashionable now for people to actually do uh, DNA tests. It's quite nice when an owner's done that for me because I can then say, okay, your dog is a mix of three or four different breeds and these are going to be the primary innate drives of those breeds. Whether innate drive is responsible for some of their behaviours or whether trauma overtakes that, I think is definitely something up for discussion. For me, I find many of these dogs quite unpredictable. So you can really feel like you're making some progress and, you know, the the dogs might actually adapt pretty well to human life for a few weeks with a support program in place and then all of a sudden growl at a stranger coming into the home or be particularly challenging to a family member and it does to the owner seem to come out of nowhere for me that's not a success story so that is something that I would pinpoint very very quickly as the dog shouting out for more support wherever the client or the the new owner carer has progressed the relationship to we maybe just want to take a few steps back and actually consider maybe that dog isn't over that trauma and maybe that dog will never get over that trauma you know if you lose somebody very very close to you and there's lots of attention there's lots of sympathy in the moment that individual going through that loss has suffered a trauma but the expectation is kind of you might have the funeral and you might move along And kind of three months down the line, when this is still very much hurting and upsetting you, the expectation of those around you is often, you should be okay now. You know, we've kind of moved on. And that's not necessarily the case. And it's exactly the same with the dog. So we can find that that these dogs settle quite quickly. But three months, six months down the line, we've not actually dealt with the problem properly. And some of these behaviours are starting to rear their head again and actually are more unpleasant than they were before. Because now the dog has got new learnt responses, it's had new experiences, and it's maybe attached further trauma to the trauma that was already there. I think we also need to consider the differences between things like a trauma response, so reactivity due to the dog being frightened, and also frustration and irritability. Dogs 
can have a quite an isolated trauma, so they don't like people coming into their space, or that trauma was not treated and the trauma has then become a lot more diverse. So it's not just about people coming into their space, it's about them walking into new environments, it's about meeting and greeting people outdoors. So the trauma can be uh, completely across the board. But let's just say we've got a handle on that, we've got a really good understanding of that. The dog is very much supportive, but at points in the conversation with the dog or the interaction with the dog, you start to see some of this reactivity again. And often I would see this with dogs that go into the park and they may be very comfortable with their human owner, but they go into the park, they start thinking for themselves, they interact with other dogs that are maybe quite highly charged or young and immature, and they try desperately to communicate in the way that they've learned or the experiences that they've had in the past, and it doesn't work. So now suddenly we've got a dog being really reactive, not necessarily because they're in a fearful state, but because they're now frustrated and irritable. The arousal state is indicative of a dog having a loss of self-control, but the motivation and the reasons for that can be hugely diverse. So owners that find the dog is fine in this situation and is fine with people and other dogs and then they go to the park and then the dog gets into an aroused state and then they see the reactivity again. So there's definitely progression there of the behavior. Actually being able to spot the scenarios where your dog is going to get aroused and uncomfortable and actually prevent them is the way to go. There is nothing wrong with choosing avoidance and saying my dog is not going to be comfortable with that reflecting on how your dog copes where your dog copes and adapting your behavior to be able to cope with that is is a really important consideration so the other thing i just want to briefly talk about is nutrition many dogs have had poor nutrition who have been rescued or been in a rescued environment either because they've spent some time on the streets and they've literally been scavenging or they've had to rely on kind of charity funded foods, which may be bulk by dry foods or heavily processed foods. But that's what their gut can cope with. You then bring them into your home and feed them the most expensive veterinary recommended food that you can get your hands on. And now they have profuse diarrhea. And now you have a problem. Do we have an upset tummy because the dog is not coping with the food you're giving? Or do we have a direct response to the dog's environment because they're stressed and the chemical processes involved in stress will obviously create an irritable tummy? So considering nutrition and how you adapt the dog's gut to be able to cope with the nutrition that you want them to go on is going to be a really important factor because if you've got a dog with an upset tummy, they're not going to be a happy dog. You're therefore going to see further poor behaviours. So keeping things very bland for the first week that they're with you, and obviously you take veterinary advice with this where necessary, but maybe even considering some chicken or fish or white rice or something very, very simplistic, actually giving the gut a rest and keeping things as bland and simple and easy to digest as possible would be my goal. And then you would gradually build in the diet that you want to be given. And making that food predictable and providing safe access to food is a really lovely way of improving the dog's trust in you. I just wanted to touch on resilience in dogs. If you have a resilient dog, they're really trainable, they adapt really quickly to differences in social situations, they're generally very confident and amenable dogs. If you are taking a rescue dog on, the chances of there being any degree of resilience to social interactions is pretty low. And actually, 
that is not something you can easily build overnight. So again, patience will be the key. There is a genetic component to resilience, but also their experiences will play a big part. And you might find that your rescue dog is extremely resilient in certain situations. Fending for themselves may be something they've had to do. So be mindful of those dogs that don't want to be bossed around. I think training gives this perception and and certainly some of the kind of old school methods of of managing dogs where it was seen to be important for you as a human owner to take a, a very strong, powerful role. We want a nice, comfortable relationship with the dog based on solid communication and being able to work with the individual that you have, seeing the dog as an individual and not just seeing them as a dog and your expectation should be, I train you and I tell you what to do. That's not how you develop the best relationship with your animal. You really want to be there to say, look, you know what? You're a dog. You've arrived within a human environment. So that environment is essentially alien to you and you're going to need to be able to adapt. And I always use the analogy for clients. If you were to start a new job tomorrow and you were to walk into that office and nobody told you where to sit, when lunch was going to be, what your expectations were, what you needed to get done in a day, what time you finished, etc. If there was nobody supporting you whatsoever, you would sit down and first of all, you would panic because you wouldn't know where to start. Then you would consistently make mistakes all day that somebody would probably reprimand you for. And at the end of the day, you may have got a few things right, but essentially you're going to feel like a failure. That doesn't require somebody coming in being heavily dominant and standing next to you, breathing down your neck, telling you what to do every second of the day. But it really does require somebody to give you some degree of boundary and support and guidance. And for me, leadership is what that is all about. This communicative, supportive role that an owner should take in order to be able to provide the dog with an understanding of where the expectations are. But also it's a two-way street. So let's consider what the dog's expectations are. And, you know, for the dog life is very, very simple. So a rescue dog coming into your home will want to know the rules. They want to know how home works. But they'll also want to know that when they deliver certain behaviours, you will respond correctly to them. So if they are choosing avoidance and they're saying to you really clearly, you're in my space give me some room or I really can't cope with this. And they're giving you all the very clear signals of being stressed and uncomfortable with a particular interaction. Then you really need to listen and you really need to give that dog an out and show them clearly where their out is so that they don't then need to be reactive. Can we teach resilience? Yes, we absolutely can. For me, the interaction that I have with my dogs to teach resilience comes down to fun stuff and finding opportunities for that dog to be successful. I think the mistake that many owners make is being too loving, too emotional, too physical. On a sensory level, most of these dogs can't cope with lots of physical touch and handling. So we wanna take a step back and set them up with clear parameters. I love to use a boundary. I don't see boundaries as being in any way challenging or conflicting for the dog. I think having clear rules around when they can enter my space and when they can't helps them cope. I get a much, much better response from a dog when I call them in if I've given them some direction to go away to begin with. So if they're coming in on their terms and they're uncomfortable and they're kind of, you see them, they come in, they sniff you, they back away. They come in, they sniff you, they back away. 
If they're in that kind of undecided, what do I do? Does this person want interaction? Do they not? I usually just give them a really gentle hand signal and walk them back to their bed. And you can do that with food. If they're food motivated, you can absolutely do that with food just to show so you're not being too forceful, confrontational. Don't make any eye contact. I don't bend down into their space and I don't grab collars. I would use body language just to direct them out of my space. And generally, you just give them that opportunity to adapt to your presence. Then maybe just taking a seat or sitting down lower, sitting side onto them and then calling them in. They're much more responsive. I've seen more reactivity in dogs who've made the decision on their terms to go into an individual space and then that individual does something they weren't expecting. The reactivity in that moment is much, much higher than when the dog has been invited in and has chosen to follow that lead and go and see that individual for some sort of positive reward. So I just want to finalise with a quick whistle-stop tour of considerations for treating these rescue dogs so that anybody taking a rescue dog on is fully equipped with a pathway for finding that right help, but also setting their home up and making sure that they are equipped to be able to support these dogs effectively. So number one on the list is obviously creating a safe zone. And what that looks like will very much depend on your environment. But I touched on it earlier that it needs to be somewhere uh, that isn't a thoroughfare and that is an area that is very much part of your family home, but that you have the ability to be able to sit parallel to it rather than be physically within it all the time. Also, a really big one is to stop exposing your dog to the triggers it finds challenging. So you will never get a dog to overcome its fear by persistently putting them in a position to try and overcome their fear. You know, if if they keep doing it, then they're going to be absolutely fine. That's not the case at all. And actually, you could end up with a dog who's severely damaged if you keep doing that. Obviously, number three on the list is observe the communication and be respectful of it. Your dog is talking to you all the time. Sitting back and observing what they're saying will provide you a platform to understand them on a much higher level. Never, ever expose or force the dog into doing anything at all. So you want to be always in a position where you know what's coming, what that dog is going to experience, and always make sure that you've got the ability to remove them so that they don't have to be able to cope if it becomes a problem. There are situations where you can put a little bit of pressure on the dog. I'm not going to go too deeply into that now. I always feel that owners need a lot of support with that. But in order to push the dog on so they don't get locked into these fearful states, there are times where through training and play and understanding, we can put a little bit of pressure on just to get the dog to engage at a higher level. But that needs to be done very much with care and expert support. Using their breed innate drives is a brilliant way of developing their confidence and trust. So if you have a collie and they love to herd, then consider how you might be able to replicate that behavior in a safe way. So even getting them to focus on a tennis ball and actually keeping that tennis ball as a high prized resource and using it and delivering it for positive behaviors so the dog can interact much, much better with you and engage and start to trust is an excellent way to build that relationship. I also want you to consider not being overattached, and I mean on an emotional level. So not just allowing your dog to constantly follow you around the house all of the time. And that will again come into some support from a behaviorist, somebody that's going to be familiar with these rescue dogs and knowing how much emotional interaction you can have safely and how much actually becomes quite negative. Emotional interaction is quite hard for a dog to be able to process. So keeping it simple and clear, letting them know when you want them and when they have permission to stay away is really important. 
Food's a great way of being able to decide whether a dog is stressed or not. So if you are wanting to give your dog food and you've asked them for a sit and you try and deliver food and they don't take it, then you really need to consider whether your dog is having processing issues within that. Normally you find dogs refusal of food, particularly with rescue dogs, is all down to their inability to be able to take it because of a chemical intervention, not anything to do with the fact they don't like your tasty chicken. Finally, the last two, we want to consider predictability and consistency when you work with them. So if the dog knows what's coming next and you're consistent with your behavior, then they'll be able to function much, much better in your social environment. And then teaching resilience. So I've already touched on that topic, but resilience is is huge when you're managing rescue dogs, being able to build their confidence, ensure that they know how to interact in your situation or your social environment. The most important tip I can give for teaching resilience is taking it at the dog's pace. If you are trying to push for the dog to be resilient in social situations that it's fearful of, you will fail. So just take this very, very slowly. All of these dogs just require a little bit of patience and thought and communication to be able to integrate safely into your environment. You may never get them fully over the trauma that they've experienced, but in the most part, I find that the majority of these cases can be not only safely managed, but go on to lead really happy, engaging lives. Thanks so much for listening this week. I hope you found the podcast informative. And please do subscribe if you want to hear more topics. They'll be brought to you over the next few weeks. Mm-hmm.